The broadcast has now started. All attendees are in listen-only mode. However, you are allowed to ask questions. Welcome to the Trimark Ask Me Anything Part 2. We had so many questions last time, and that thing could have went for a couple hours. Uh, but Jake needs his naps and his beauty sleep, so he had to stop. But we figured, following up on our Visa webinar from last uh, last week, we're going to do more Active Directory and Azure AD. Welcome to the show. My name is Danny Akoski, Customer Success Manager. I am joined by our founder, CTO, and just all-around gorgeous human being, Sean Metcalf. Jake Hildreth, he is the service lead for our Active Directory Security Assessment. By the way, trimarksecurity.com slash services for all information on all of our services. And, of course, our director of those services, Mr. Scott Blake, uh, is with us. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, let's see. When people have arrived, show my screen. Because well, people should be able to see us right now. Yes? No? Maybe? Audience? Fine. Share my screen. Let's do that. What are people looking at now? No, I'm not sharing my screen. I'm going to assume that people can see us because the broadcast has started. Uh, and if I could get a thumbs up from somebody. Uh, so we are going to back, go back and do uh, more of our questions uh, that we have from the AMA. Uh, how, how are you, gentlemen? How's everything? You guys ready to do another Ask Me Anything, get stuff fired off at you? Absolutely. Let's get I feel like started. I just did one of these, but we'll do it again. All right. You went on vacation, us, so you forgot about it all now, already. I did. I forgot everything. <laughs> Let us start. We got about 30-some questions in here. Uh, okay. Let's. I like this one because I come from a uh, threat hunter background. So I live my life a bunch of logs at a time. I love log. Log is love. Uh, other than group policy, what aspects of Active Directory are blind spots with Windows event logging, regardless of audit level? Process creation. Yeah, there's Same. definitely some some things that should be audited uh, from the perspective of Active Directory as far as knowing what's happening there. Certainly, there's Kerberos uh, event logging that should be enabled uh, that we see is not. Uh, so I think I'd kick it over to Jake and Scott to, to highlight some of the things that we know should be enabled that we often see is not on domain controllers. Ooh, should be enabled that we know is not. Well, or that we often see is not. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah. I can give you some examples from a report that I just just delivered here, which was a very well done, well done environment, but again, did not have proper auditing in place. So we had things like, you know, simple account logon or lockout lockout policies being set to success instead of failure. Like still, we see that happening. Um, and they were done so well that that's pretty much all they have. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, I, so it's okay. I, I will say that there's there's uh, also the uh, special group auditing, and I may be saying that incorrectly because it's been a while. But special log on, yeah. Special log special on. Log on yep. uh, so basically this is a way that you can configure Active Directory to, if you don't want to do account log on, so if you don't want to get log on events for everyone who logs on in your entire environment, which could be problematic if you have 50,000, 100,000, 900,000, like some of our customers do, 900,000 users, that could be problematic because every time they authenticate, 
uh, you're going to get a logon event, which can overrun the amount of space that is configured on your domain controller for logs. Uh, and maybe they will roll over, which we've seen in some environments. So you can set up special logon so that way you can configure a certain group of users. This is ideal for having a special group that is for, say, service accounts, for admin accounts, for Active Directory admin accounts, and insider threat concerns, which is another thing that, that most environments have, but we don't often talk about. <laughs> we should do a webcast on just how to track and understand insider threat scenarios. Uh, so you capture all those into a group, an Active Directory group, and then maybe in the insider threat, you actually hide the group membership of it, uh, but we don't call it insider threat, potentially. <laughs> uh, and then you, what you need to do is you need to configure this uh, as, as, as part of that audit. It, you, you enable the auditing, but there's another step. You actually have to configure a registry key on the domain controller so that they actually know to what to look at and who to log. So this way you can get a log of, say, 100 users and their authentications, their logons, versus 100,000 users. Uh, so I'll call out that first and foremost. Like I said, Kerberos logging, uh, some research I did a few years ago uh, identified that password spraying, which is one of the most common ways that an attacker guesses passwords in the environment where they take a password list and work through each password in order and try one password against every user in Active Directory, and maybe they authenticate as one, and they go, okay, that password is good for those, uh, and then moves on to the other one. And it just, you, you do that over the course of hours, so it doesn't flag any any lockout policy, uh, and then you you can successfully guess and and under and, and compromise those accounts. Uh, one of the things that I identified years ago is that if you're using NTLM for that authentication, then the standard lockout or, or account uh, logon failure uh, event is triggered. But if you use Kerberos, it isn't. So if you're not logging Kerberos events, you're not going to see that. Uh, so it's important to understand which sort of event auditing is, is necessary in Active Directory and which sort of event auditing, auditing will, will gain additional benefits. Uh, Jake said process creation. Certainly you want to be logging PowerShell activity, certainly on your domain controllers. There shouldn't be much. Uh, once you start logging PowerShell activity, you're going to start in getting that into a SIM or a central log system. You're going to start seeing a lot of wacky stuff, stuff from SCCM or whatever it's called today, stuff from other inventory six systems and, and scripts that get run on an ad hoc basis or even by schedule task. I've got two others that I am shocked that I just didn't bring up immediately. I was everything ADCS. Everything ADCS. <laughs> it's not exactly a domain controller, but it, you know, everything ADCS. None of it shows up in event logs unless you enable it. It's by, all disabled by default. But Jake, uh, but you're also, saying Active Directory Certificate Services does not have logging enabled by default? Oh no. <laughs> That's also uh, DNS logs, DNS server logs, yeah. not not enabled by default. So yeah, we could. You really should bump up your levels on that. Old move, Cotton. Let's see how that works out for him. <laughs> <laughs> So, but and I'll, just, I'll just chime in real quick too with a couple of additions. Um, I would definitely be auditing for what's still leveraging some of your older authentication protocols. So what's still using SMB v1 in your environment? What's using NTLM v1 oh, in I your environment? I know the answer. NetApp. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wanted to build on too to Sean's uh, audit special logon um, tip as well. Uh, the nice part is out of the box, you, you check, you know, audit special logon to success, Microsoft will automatically capture logs for the highly privileged groups. Um, but in addition to that, as Sean mentioned, you should there's probably some additional groups and accounts that you want to capture. So make sure you get those added through that manual edit, um, registry edit. 
and special logon works for servers and workstations too, but you do have to do that extra configuration of pushing out a reg key to them to make sure it captures that. So if you want to have an idea and understanding of who's authenticating to computers as well as Active Directory, you can do that through special logon, but you do have to take the extra steps. Um, just like there are certain uh, patches for domain controllers or servers where you have to apply the patch but then set a reg key, special logon is one of those special circumstances where you have to do that. And we have uh, we have two comments in the chat just on this one from Ray. Uh, Ray Vega says uh, a a big one I see is not auditing file folder access failures or defining the appropriate auditing permissions on shares for auditing. Uh, Jeff McJunkin, what's up, Jeff? And by the way, use the chat. Uh, have comments, have questions, put it, put them in the chat. Um, by the way, we are we're like this is the second third one we've done with GoToWebinar. It's okay, but we like we like the interaction, right? We we love the chat, so use that for your comments or questions. Like by all means, please do that. Um, Jeff says, "Excuse me, service ticket logging exclamation point." Too many clients have no idea which accounts have SPNs slash are Kerberosable and don't want to remove the SPNs since they don't know if they're used. Yep. That Dave Curtis, was that? I was going to say, Danny, that might be a good transition to another question. I, I know that was in there around curb roasting. Do it. Oh, you want? I'm, now I feel like I'm taking your. Oh, job. I thought you had it. You know what? I thought you had it ready. It was. Uh, which one is the curber? So Scott's uh, like, I'm here to answer questions, not ask yeah. questions. <laughs> Wasn't part of my my AMA briefing. <laughs> hey, yeah. Hey, Danny. There's. You know what, Scott? Look for that. There's another. Oh, did you find it? Yeah, the question is, is there a script to detect what accounts are vulnerable to Kerber roasting? And I guess the first question, I, I'll kick it over to Sean, is this part of the, the free uh, Active Directory security assessment that we offer? Is I believe that, that one yeah. of the things that we included in that free PowerShell script that we published in uh, summer of 2020 and that is on the Trimark GitHub uh, is around checking for uh, privilege accounts. So uh, members of domain admins, enterprise admins, administrators at the domain level, uh, what are those accounts? Do they have spins? And how old are the password? Uh, our typical approach is if the password is three years or older uh, and it has a spin, then it curb roasting is possible. Uh, we have some other secret sauce we do behind the scenes as part of our Active Directory Security Assessment to identify how likely that is as far as curb roasting goes. But yeah, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have some of these accounts that are service accounts and you can't just remove the spins from those. So a lot of times the guidance you find on the web is if you have an account that has a spin, then it's Kerberosable, remove the spin. That doesn't work for service counts because they need those spins. The Kerberos service principal name or spin is the signpost that connects that service count with that service that is accepting Kerberos authentication. So you have a, a server, probably SQL, that is accepting Kerberos authentication, and it has to have a spin. That SQL service count has to have a spin. Uh, if you find an, your default domain administrator account in your Active Directory domain and it has a spin on it, it does not need a spin. That you can remove. Get rid of it. That is a bad thing. Uh, but any of the other accounts, uh, certainly people accounts. So if you have admin accounts that are associated with a person, like if Jake has a an admin account in Active Directory, his account should not have a spin. Yes, absolutely remove that. But if you have a service account, uh, like uh, what was one that we looked at earlier, the uh, Microsoft Group Policy Management System, AGPM. If you have a spin, spin for AGPM, you probably can't remove that. What you can do is remove AGPM from domain admins. It doesn't need to be there. There's a way to delegate those rights. 
Uh, the other thing you can do is ensure that that account has a 30-character password. It can be random, complex. Uh, at that point, you can throw the whole dictionary at it. It doesn't matter. 30 characters is very difficult to crack. The whole issue with curb roasting is it provides an opportunity for an attacker to take that take that uh, ticket, that service ticket associated with that with that account, and basically crack it offline by doing a brute force password guessing against it. Once it can open up that 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 ticket using uh, uh, taking that that brute force password and then identifying uh, that it can open up that ticket, whatever that hash that was used to open up that ticket, they know that that's the associated password and they have the password for that account. So any of your service accounts that have a spin that are passwords that are like 10 years or more, uh, those are very highly highly likely and probable that those uh, could be curb roasted. And if they haven't already uh, been curb roasted and compromised, you're, you, you should consider yourself lucky. So definitely uh, check out the Trimark uh, PowerShell script. We publish for free. We have an associated article that also walks through what you should do when you see the results of that. Um, also, join us on these AMAs. We have a, a lot of good information uh, in the Trimark YouTube channel, as well as on the Trimark content hub, hub.trimarksecurity.com. Oh, and, and a, a large 28-page white paper on how to improve Active Directory securely quickly, which covers some of these things. Yeah, we got so much stuff. Uh, we just had, yeah, that new uh, that new paper by Jim uh, that, that he just put out yesterday. That's available. Actually, that's available as a handout in this webinar. So I don't know how the attendees see it, but I know that it's there. Uh, so that handout we give for free. And even if you download it from our website, we don't make you register for it. Like, we don't ask you for stuff. Just download it. And, like, we hope that you use it. Uh, if next you want to reach out to us and find out what we do, we have a contact form on our website. We're not going to make you register for for, for, for free stuff and, and white, white papers. Yeah, absolutely not. It, that's appalling. I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> except for, you know, the webinars, which we make you register for. Uh, is the recommendation to enable SMB signing realistic for a large organization? Oh, I want Scott to go first. <laughs> so is this, is, I'm guessing the concern is just around the additional traffic um, that this is going to cause on your domain controllers? I, I would also say the impact on other systems in the environment. So um, I think that's one of the concerns. Of, mm, this is tough because this gets back to balancing security with, you know, an actual functional working environment. Um, I'm sure there's cases where SMB signing doesn't make sense, right? Um, there are probably thresholds that you can run into that it's going to be more cause more harm than good. So I'm I'm it's tough. I, there's probably edge cases around a lot of the stuff we look at. Um, so it might not be realistic. Maybe that's maybe that's the right answer. Maybe it's a more targeted approach as far as which systems you're actually doing that signing on. Um, but Sean or Jake, if you want to jump in, please do. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, I, I think that certainly the security recommendation is to enable SMB signing across your environment. That is the security recommendation. We've worked with a lot of customers, uh, hundreds to 900,000 users in Active Directory and Azure AD. And certainly in Active Directory, SMB signing will help mitigate and prevent a number of different types of attacks. Absolutely. The challenge is many environments, especially larger ones, uh, often larger and older, larger or older, often have non-Windows devices. Non-Windows devices have a lot of trouble with some of these more advanced advances in from a decade ago uh, or more. 
security features that Microsoft adds to these protocols, like SMB. A lot of SMB v1 is out there. It was the default for years. XP, 2003. So we're talking 20 years of SMB v1. That means vendors have incorporated that in their systems. I mentioned NetApp. NetApp is one of the you know well, most well-known uh, file sharing storage appliances. Uh, there's a bunch of others. They all use kind of the same approach. And it's a non-Windows appliance. So it's Linux, Unix, some types of Nix or BSD uh, that, that is the core. And so it's only it's only going to be as secure as its security capabilities in a Microsoft Windows world. So what does that mean? Things like NTLM v2 may not be possible or enabled by default. Things like SMB v2 may, may not be possible or enabled by default. When you start looking at SMB and the, the protocol configuration, SMB v3, I believe, has additional features uh, like signing enabled and encryption configuration. And then you move on from there. So when we talk about SMB v1, there's minimal capability. So the first thing I think goes back to what Scott talked about and what we talk with our customers about. If you want to implement a, a stronger security posture for a protocol, it is critical to understand how that protocol is in use in your environment. So it starts with inventory. So how do you do that? You enable auditing on all your domain controllers and as many of your servers as possible around SMB, v, SMB usage. Uh, you start with that. Then if you can also do some uh, pro, uh, port, some some capture of the actual port and protocol use in your environment, such as through um, Wireshark or Ethereal or whatever you want to use, where you're where you're actually capturing some traffic on the wire to see what is actually in use. Uh, I went to a session years ago at a conference, and they basically said truth is what goes across the wire. Uh, so when I was preparing for the Microsoft Certified Master Program, I used I did a lot of packet captures to see what the truth was, uh, how how things were happening across the network. Uh, it was fascinating to see what what sort of functions and commands and, and queries go across the wire in an environment. So it starts with that asset inventory and auditing. So that way you know what you have. The second step is piloting and this testing it out in the lab environment. Uh, we've seen some larger environments that have implemented signing. We've seen smaller environments that can't implement it because of a variety of situations, such as specialty equipment, could be microscopes, uh, it could be a specialty equipment around manufacturing, could be a manufacturing factory, factory or plant. Uh, we've assessed Active Directory in use all sorts of crazy places, from factories and manufacturing that had in industrial control ICS systems to pipelines that shift oil, gas, et cetera, to media companies that are actually doing productions of TV shows and movies, and those control and connect to cameras and other systems such as lighting. Uh, so we've seen a lot of really interesting scenarios and one-offs. Uh, so when it comes to Active Directory and the management of these systems, the Active Directory forest itself, and very often the forest, but but the domain is more of, of the, the 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 container of these sort of settings, such as uh, especially around SMB uh, security settings. You have to look at okay, what do you have? We've even talked to customers about how to split up their Active Directory forest so that they have more of a legacy environment in a separate forest from like their production environment in their main forest. So these systems that can't be secured at that higher level actually get shifted over to another environment that can have a down level security and, and more compatibility for these legacy systems. It is definitely a complicated situation. We have worked with customers on this many times as part of our Active Directory security assessment. Um, and if you're interested, feel free to reach out to us, hit us up on the website, hit the contact form, let us know that you want to chat about these challenges that you have. We have worked with other customers, help them kind of get to a better place and better understand what they're dealing with. Jake? 
Oh, I, I was going to say, I really like the uh, the separating it out and having like a tiered approach to your forests. You know, your your forest three is your island of misfit toys. You you do whatever you want in there. <laughs> I, you know, two is the stuff that actually matters, but you can't fully enable. And then, yeah, uh, in order to gain access to the corporate network, you you have to pass all the checks. And um, that being said, you know, I was just while we were sitting here looking at ONTAP or, you know, NetApp devices, and they are, they, they now support SMB signing. So and have for a while, but some of the older ones yeah. just can't upgrade to the, the newest version of ONTAP. So that, that is a complication. So we recognize that. Yeah, we yeah. understand with Trimark, you get context. We have understanding of these environments because we're operations and security. So we have a good understanding of why certain things might not be as feasible to enable as other things. Um, I think this is a good time to switch to one of the questions about how to deal with a lot of different um, issues, a lot of different vulnerabilities across the environment. I forgot where that question was, Danny. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, how 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 you, it's the go ahead and ask that question, Danny. You got it. <laughs> yeah, I see you. Uh, how do y'all manage multiple vulnerabilities during a pen test slash assessment? So, for example. You're running Pincastle Pupper Knight, and there are like 999 volts. We all know that using NTLM1 will be critical in your report, but how about some informative volts? Yeah, so the, the first part I, I think starts with the approach. So Trimark doesn't use any off-the-shelf uh, assessment tools at all, no open source, anything like that. We uh, have custom proprietary tools that we've developed for every one of our assessments. So what we're looking at is pretty much everything in Active Directory. We have literally hundreds of checks for, for our assessments. We're looking at all those knobs and switches and dials that inform the security of a system, be it Active Directory, Azure AD, or even VMware. Um, and we had a webcast last week talking about VMware security issues. So if, if you have any VMware in your environment, and you likely do, uh, go ahead and watch that webcast. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. So how do we look at these things across the environment? We use our very comprehensive proprietary tooling to identify all of these issues and our tools kind of pull things together for us and can do some initial dot connecting um, and make it easier so we can do an assessment in about a month. Uh, whereas without that, it would take months and months to do that. Uh, but it looks at permissions, it looks at accounts, it looks at groups it, and it pulls all this information together for us and points us in a direction. But our tool isn't the assessment. At Trimark, our methodology is a combination of our assessment tools, our people, and our process. And so across that entire structure, across that, those three tiers of sorts, we ensure that we're able to identify not just what the issue is, not just what the risk is, not just what the severity is, which you're going to get with any pen test or, or red team or, or other security assessment, but because we understand operations security, we're really combining and, and correlating how diff, how bad this is, like high, the high, the uh, how severe this issue is, high priority critical issue, along with how hard would it be to implement? So we basically tie priority with approximate level of effort, and so we're able to to help our customers not just get things fixed, but get things more fixed more quickly because we're tying it together. So how do we manage these multiple vulnerabilities? And there's 999 vulnerabilities. The great thing is that anecdotally across our assessments, if there are 50 high priority items, about 25 or more of those are gonna be low level of effort as we categorize them. The majority of the critical uh, items that we identify in assessment are also low level of, 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 uh, low level of effort, which means those can get resolved in weeks. We 
apply additional context to that so we can help our customers get these things fixed. Our goal is to get things fixed. So when we're talking about things like SMB signing, that's harder to do. I just I just went through a long list of things you have to do. It, asset inventory, auditing, um, testing, and then rolling it out. Things like identifying which accounts are Kerberosable, that's a lot easier. Fixing accounts that shouldn't have a Kerberos spin, that's a lot easier. So what we do is take that kind of phased approach of do this, then this, then this, then this, so that way our customers can get things fixed. They can reduce the number of trusts they have in their environment. We publish a lot of information, um, as I said, on our, our Trimark Content Hub. We do a lot of videos to, to help organizations get this stuff fixed, get this stuff figured out, especially with the low-hanging fruit. Like I mentioned, the how to how to improve Active Directory security more quickly. That webcast, that white paper, the information that we publish around that, we want these things to get better. We want these things to get done. We want customers to just have these harder things. We want your pen test and red teamers to have to work harder to, to compromise an environment or get access to it. Uh, Jake released uh, Locksmith, and that's on the Trimark uh, GitHub as well. So that way you can not only identify what the problems are in Active Directory Certificate Services, ADCS, but you can also fix them. You can get them fixed with that tool. It'll point you to how to fix it. It'll give you some script code, sample code on how to fix that as well. So our goal is to make things better, not just for our customers, but for the community, which is why we do uh, these these kind of have these conversations uh, of, of AMAs. Um, but how do we manage these things? It's really about providing guidance and an effective roadmap to our customers. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't want our customers to have to go to Google to figure out, okay, what does it mean when we get this report that says, uh, disable NTLM? Well, first of all, you can't. So that's the first thing. The goal is to get it up to NTLM v2. Enable auditing on that as well. Um, but also have a better understanding of what is constrained delegation. What is unconstrained delegation? What are the Kerberos delegation issues? I mean, I, I raised the issue around unconstrained delegation at Black Hat in 2015. So we've been dealing with this sort of thing since at least then. Uh, we There's a number of things that we look at that and, and we assess as part of our assessment that we do publish information about. We give information about how to fix these things. We also know these things aren't easy. The folks that have to deal with these and fix them are the people that are fighting fires and, and doing everything else. Uh, so. I don't know, Jake, Scott, if you want to add to any of, any of what I said around how we manage multiple vulnerabilities during assessments. I mean, I, I really enjoyed, when I was getting hired here, I was like, this seems like it's just going to be overwhelming for anybody that receives it. And as soon as you explained criticality, level of effort, it's like, oh. And then there's also a second part of that, which is our our reports themselves are kind of in a starting at the lowest level of your environment and building up. And so if you can solve those lowest level issues first, it kind of can take care of some of the the higher level issues to begin with. So it's, it's uh, I remember John, John Strand saying something along the lines of like, you get this pen test report and there's a thousand vulnerabilities and then you realize that 800 of them are solved by fixing this one other issue. And there's a lot of that just kind of built into the nature of our, our reporting. And so yeah, it, it just kind of, works itself out, I guess. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great point. I, I think the other thing that we do that's interesting is we focus on root cause, root cause analysis. And so we focus on the thing that you fix is this one thing that actually resolves other things. We're not identifying all the different paths on how an environment could be compromised. We're identifying the root cause and the issues in the environment, which could lead to 
those thousands or potentially hundreds or dozens or whatever number of issues. We work th with incident responders. We have a very close relationship with a number of uh, incident responding, uh, responders and, and companies that do IR, as well as friends that do red teaming and pen testing. I talk to them regularly. And, and one of the things that I heard recently and, and asked how, you know, what are the, the the ways that you typically compromise an environment. And it's Active Directory Certificate Services. So one, that's a big issue. Pull Locksmith down from the Trimark uh, uh, GitHub page and run it in your environment if you have ADCS. And the second was Azure AD Connect, which makes mm -hmm. sense. Uh, I, I've been highlighting some con security concerns around that since uh, 2017, a DEF CON talk that I did called Hacking the Cloud. Um, and Durkian Malema has been fantastic at, at also identifying issues around that on both sides, Azure AD and Active Directory. Um, we now have Microsoft uh, Azure AD Cloud Sync, which uh, enables and, and kind of limits the security capability of Azure AD Connect, but it hasn't been the hasn't been feature complete as as much as Azure AD Connect is. So there are some challenges moving towards that, but that that will help in that area as well. And of course, Scott has a, uh, a great blog article about securing Azure AD Connect on the uh, Trimark Content Hub, so hub.trimarksecurity.com. That actually goes into another question that I had seen, um, which so, you know, back in when I first started in security 12, you know, 13 years ago by now, and I was on product teams, everything had to be on-prem. Nobody wanted to hear a word about cloud. Don't tell us that, we need it on-prem, scary, scary cloud, cloud machine. And, but as opposed to today, we're like, all cloud, Azure AD, Google Cloud, all that stuff. There's a question that says, is it time to migrate off of AD and go to Azure AD only? Should this be a focus for organizations? So uh, the I, still, answer I still need is, a job. <laughs> the, the answer is, is yes and no at the same time. Um, is it time based on what the issues that we've seen in Active Directory? Yeah, sure. The problem is Azure AD is not Active Directory. Azure AD does not support group policy, does not support Kerberos, does not support NTLM, does not support, um, I had another one I was about to say, it does not support LDAP. So, and and sure, there are some things that Microsoft has kind of grafted onto Azure AD from the Kerberos perspective. There's things that they will probably graft on to, to tr provide some capability around these things, but it's not the same. You can't take your application right now that's running on a server that uses Active Directory to authenticate and then point it to Azure AD and it will just work. There is no shim for that today. In the future, maybe, but there is not today. So that means you are not able to just forklift your, your, your servers running applications over into Azure and just point them to Azure AD. That's not going to work. You can't just move stuff from, like you can with VMware and move it over to Azure or move it over to, to uh, GCP or move it over to Amazon AWS. It doesn't work like that. Microsoft does have their own managed AD, which is Azure AD Domain Services, uh, which is very much like what you have on-prem, but there's some differences there as well. You don't have access to domain controllers, you don't have full domain admin capability. So yes, a lot of our customers are looking at this. We've had a lot of conversations around this, especially after we do an Active Directory and Azure AD security assessment, where we're effectively looking at their Microsoft identity security. We have had many conversations, especially this year, about that. And the question always comes down to, should we be migrating from Active Directory to Azure AD? The answer is you can't. You can't just take one thing and move it over to the other. Um, applications today do not support federated authentication. They don't support web authentication the way that uh, newer apps can potentially. Uh, I've, I've been saying for years, and I will reiterate, reiterate it here, if you have contracts around applications and, and 
vendors that create applications for you. Now is the time on your next contract renewal to get those applications updated so that they can support web authentication, so they can support identity providers like Azure AD um, and others, so that way as you are moving forward through potential attrition and other things, you'll have more applications that can be pointed to that uh, identity provider in order to move away from Active Directory. But there's still challenges. Intune is not group policy, so you're not going to have all the settings and knobs and dials that you have in group policy, so it's not as flexible. One of the challenges and concerns that we keep hearing about is, especially since 2020, we have a lot more remote users all over the world. They have laptops. They, they roam from their home to the office to the coffee shop to wherever, and they are trying to work from there. But with Active Directory, you need a VPN or potentially an always-on VPN in order to enable group policy, to in order to enable authentication, to in order to enable access to resources. Um, Microsoft has some proxying capability built into Azure AD where you can proxy back into those systems without a VPN. But that still doesn't give you those management capabilities of Active Directory. So then you start looking at Intune, and then our customers are realized Intune is not group policy. There's differences. How do we manage that? There's a cloud kind of version of, of how to do SCCM stuff, but it's different. It's not the same. There's there's gateways around that. Uh, hybrid is complicated. I think that we've run into the situation where a lot of companies and leadership said, we got to go to the cloud, go to the cloud, to the cloud, and enable cloud. So now we, not ju we don't just have our on-prem existing environment. We also have our cloud environment that we have to manage. Potentially even multiple cloud environments where the nomenclature and security capability are different. And because leadership didn't want to put all their eggs in one basket, they have all their eggs in multiple baskets. So I think when it comes down to can we move from Active Directory to Azure AD, the answer today is no, not reasonably. I had a conversation with someone uh, at Blue Team Con last year around this specific thing. If you have a company that has a revenue of, say, $10 million a year, and they want to move from Active Directory to Azure AD, that's going to be, incur a significant cost to lift and shift applications over to Azure AD uh, domain services, uh, or even shift over to a cloud version of those applications, shift everything over, and potential downtime for that company. So a $10 million company is, I think, technically a medium-sized company. That's a significant investment. It may cost them a million or two to actually do that migration and still not have feature parity. So I, I think it's, I think it, for some companies that have limited applications, limited custom, devices and systems that require Act Directory components like Kerberos, NTLM, Auth, uh, LDAP, and, and Group Policy, it's a little bit easier, but I think it comes down to the asset inventory and looking to see how easy or complicated that is. And uh, if you're running into this challenge, uh, again, hit us up on the contact page on the Trimark Security website. We're, we're happy to have this conversation. We're consultants at heart. We love talking about this stuff. So I'll kick it to Jake and Scott, see what your, your thought is. I was just going to say, you know, I noticed you said yet another phrase of it's inventory and it's like that has come up, I think, in several of these questions here. Like you really can't get a handle on anything without just getting an inventory of what is actually there and what you actually need. And that's how you can make your most most secure decisions, I guess, in the situation that you're at right now. So makes me want to go back and, you know sign up and start using my land sweeper client again. And just, you know. <laughs> How about you, Scott? I, I mean, I almost feel that, you know, if you're starting a company today from square one, yes, you can probably, you know, go with Azure AD and that'll work for you. But I, I have a hard time picturing and, and 
I don't know if it was a communication issue or or what that I think because I think a lot of the reasons why companies decided hey we're gonna hybrid into Azure AD was to eventually get to Azure AD but I don't I don't think they really understood what that involved and I think they're now realizing that oh we can't fully shift and we're going to be stuck in a hybrid model for five ten years if I had to guess at my last gig yeah that was that was the intention of like we spent a year researching it and then finally went wrote out uh reached out to Avar and you know they're like well yeah you you could but this 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 yeah. okay so so kind of staying on, on the same track if we're talking about uh, you know, cloud and Azure, there's another question in here. How do you measure risk for every right slash privilege that is asked or granted to say a third-party Azure enterprise app? As an example, an app that integrates with Teams and offers improved experience, uh, the asker says, I can see the business case, but not finding good resources for quantifying every single right and privilege granted in terms of actual risk. That is a fantastic question. And I think that is probably one of the biggest issues that most organizations that have moved to Azure AD is dealing with today. Uh, they are they have applications. These applications need rights to do things. Um, when we do our Azure AD security assessment, we're looking at permissions that are configured at the tenant level. And our big focus there is really around what are those permissions that are extremely highly privileged? What are those that are effectively global admin? What are those that effectively give or give you the ability to effectively take over the tenant? Which are the ones that that give so many rights that, you know, there's there's basically four permissions that are so highly privileged that that and if an application has that and someone can impersonate that application, they can own the tenant. So we kind of look at it in this in these sort of leveled approach. Uh, we do the same thing with the uh, roles in Azure AD. So level one are the most highly privileged ones. So those are the ones we focus on. Those are the thing, ones we look at who has rights to them. Because when you're talking about applications in Azure AD, you're not just talking about the application and potentially a service principle that's associated with that application that has rights. You're also talking about who can manage those applications, who can add a credential to those applications, um, who's an owner of that application. So there's these other elements that kind of tie into it. Um, and again, Durkian Malema has, has expanded and really done a lot of great research and published on this, which definitely informed the, the, the things that we look at. Um, the folks from SpectreOps have done a lot of great research with expanding Bloodhound into Azure and Azure AD. Um, and that's been helpful in under, better understanding what we're looking at. One of the things we do at Trimark is we look at an inventory uh, the the roles that are in Azure AD on a regular basis, and what are the associated rights and permissions of each of those roles. We've actually reached out to Microsoft and said, hey, by the way, the hybrid identity administrator role, uh, which we were looking at in early 2021, we reached out and said, this seems to be too highly privileged for what it should be. And Microsoft dialed back the rights and permissions on that over the past year and a half, or actually 2021 into 2022. Uh, so we regularly inventory those and look at them to figure out, okay, what is the point of this? Um, and we've had conversations with Microsoft around this. We've actually talked to the Active Directory um, development team and, and folks on the Active Directory team about what we see in Active Directory and some recommendations we have for them. Same thing with Azure AD. I've spoken with, with PMs within the Azure AD team. Our goal is to make things better. So when we're looking at these things that don't make sense, we, we talk to Microsoft about it, we talk to our customers. And our perspective is, in many cases, it makes more sense to have a couple of roles that combine to what you're really looking for and then that person be eligible for those roles in PIM in order to get that right. Um, 
so we, we categorize these Azure AD roles into levels. Again, level one is the highest one, level two, level three, level four is reader roles. We sort of do this also with permissions within uh, Azure AD and the rights around the tenant, uh, who, which applications have which permissions. So we start with the, the big four. So directory rewrite all, and there's, there's a few others um, that I won't mention here, but I've talked about at other conferences. And so then we go down from there. Uh, one of the things we look at are read-write-all roles. So if you look at the permissions that says read-write-all, uh, sites, which is a SharePoint uh, permission, sites read-write-all, that's highly privileged. Things like mail read-write-all, um, that's highly privileged. M Microsoft has shifted from the older rights around, say, Azure Active Directory to Graph. So most of the rights that you see now are through Graph. Uh, those are the newer ones. One of the things that I've been concerned about with Service, service accounts in Active Directory and now service principles and applications in Azure AD is that things change. Microsoft, especially in Azure AD, adds new permissions, new delegated capability within the platform, but the vendor that set this up set up this, this system, this application five years ago, and all of their customers set it up for directory read write all, which is the most powerful uh, permission in Azure AD. A lot of applications have this. Should they? Probably not. But when they were set up, it's very likely that there was no other way to do this. There's another application permission that basically allows the application to give itself whatever permissions it says it needs in that time. That's another very highly privileged permission. That's another one that probably shouldn't be there for all applications. Some have it, but why? Uh, so that's kind of like, I don't know what I'm gonna need until I need it, so let's just make sure I have everything, which probably isn't the best approach from a security perspective. So the question is around how do we how do we look at those applications and identify which are the most concerning? So our approach is we look at the big four um, and we'll do some publishing around what those are because I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but I did talk about it in my um, Quest Tech Talk last year uh, called Defending the Identity Nexus. So, it's, so we'll make sure we link to that. And so there's four applications that are the most highly privileged. You start with those, call those kind of level one. Then you move on to level two, which is gonna be things around read, write all for just about any system that's out there, any of the different options uh, within Azure AD. The other thing that attackers really love is getting access to mailbox data. So that's gonna be mail read all. Um, that's something that's gonna be highly privileged because attackers love to get mailbox data. Um, so there's gonna be some other things that are like that, but it depends on what you have and where you have data that you care about. Looking at those permissions, looking at applications that have those permissions. The uh, Microsoft MCAS, which I know they re renamed, um, but there is a capability within the Microsoft Cloud Suite to look and look at and identify applications that are highly privileged. They can flag those for you and identify what they are and say that these are concerning. They're pretty much gonna focus on the big four that I mentioned as well as some others, uh, but there's, a way to, there's ways that you can tune that um, and enable some better understanding of that. Um, so that's a very long answer to say that, yes, it's complicated. You're going to have to do some PowerShell, um, PowerShell uh, uh, queries against the environment. Soon to be graph uh, API queries because all the PowerShell modules are going to be deprecated uh, early next year. Sorry, that's Microsoft. If you don't want them to, tell them not to. Uh, but there are, it, it is not as clean and easy to look at Azure AD components and understand the permissions, understand the rights as it is in Active Directory, because there's a few different ways to it. And I think we're gonna continue to see that and continue to see the challenges there um, when it comes down to securing it. Uh, Christina on the Trimark team published an article last month on some of the biggest uh, misconfigurations from a security perspective we see during our Azure AD security assessments. Again, hub.trimarksecurity.com, check that out.
So before I ask this next one, uh, next one, I'm going to launch a poll uh, that's going to ask uh, everybody some questions about their security assessments and if they've gotten any. So while I launch that, let's go and do that. That is launched. Please take that poll. Uh, and if you want to, or just keep listening to us. Uh, this question came through email, actually, right before we launched the webcast today. Uh, assuming there is a single site and they've performed a decent job securing Active Directory, would you see value in implementing RODC controllers for your environment, kind of like a new deployment uh, concept? And then he had a second part. I don't know if you want the second part right away or you just want to answer that one. Uh, so right off the bat, I see almost no value in deploying read-only domain controllers unless you have very specific circumstances, especially if it's a single Active Directory site. Um, read-only domain controllers and writable, direct, uh, writable domain controllers don't play well in the same Active Directory site at all. Yeah, was, then, uh, my, my immediate response was just, just head shaking. No, so there's no benefit. <laughs> there's yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, I, I'll run okay. it out and say uh, agree across the board. Yeah, it's there's very few cases where I think an RODC is a good idea. And the second part that they had to that question, so no, George, bad idea. Uh, <laughs> Pat, George, uh, can you provide some insights on configuring two separate forest active directories, one for the general population and one for infrastructure with a one-way trust? The infrastructure forest will be the trusted domain. So this is a fun one, and there was a concept. Uh, by the way, Danny, I'm still seeing the quick poll on the screen. I'm not sure if that should disappear or not. Yeah, no, I'm, it, it gives me a percentage of people voted, and I think we've gotten all we're going to. So I'm going to close it. Well, thank you all for for contributing. We will share the results of that poll shortly. So to answer the question about um, insight on configuring two separate Active Directory forest, one for the general population. This is what we typically refer to as like the primary production forest, which has users and computers in it, and then one for infrastructure. There was this concept that was batted around in the early 2000s around the concept of an exchange force. So basically put exchange in a separate force, and it's a resource force. And then Microsoft grew this whole concept of a resource force. So what does that mean? How would you use that? I think that our approach to this has really evolved. Um, I don't think that you should have a separate force for applications. I've certainly seen a domain and a multi-domain multi force for applications. But when it comes down to it, I think it's important to understand that really the force is a security boundary until you attach another force through a trust. Now your security boundary is that. Um, your force is security boundary until you add in a hybrid cloud component like Azure AD Connect. Now your force, your, your security boundary expands to include both of those. It's very important to understand the, the way that you are managing these systems and the way that you're configuring the trust. We see a lot of trusts that are misconfigured. Uh, we have a lot of really good recommendations on how to better configure them. So when it comes down to separate forest, act, separate Active Directory forests, I was reading the way it was written. It's important to look at what is the purpose. Splitting out infrastructure, so say servers from users, I don't think that makes a lot of sense because you're gonna have a lot of back and forth traffic across that trust. So you're gonna have a lot of situations where you're gonna have uh, tickets that get referred and then they come back to, to confirm and then go back. And in NTLM authentication, you're gonna have a lot of back and forth between that. That doesn't really help necessarily. And that'll happen in a multi-domain uh, forced anyway. 
I think that from the perspective like we talked earlier, it's looking at those systems that are legacy, they have less capability from a security perspective, those are better to be in a separate forest. They, definitely DMZs, please, 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 if you take one thing away from this, from this <laughs> session, stay in May. If you have, write this down, if you have a domain in your forest that says DMZ or is for a DMZ, put in your plan for this year as soon as possible to split that out to its own forest. That is a huge danger to your existing Act Directory environment. If you have your prime production domain with all your users, your applications, all your sensitive data, and you have a DMZ domain, um, please don't do that anymore. Like, get that DMZ domain out, out of there into a, its own forest. And, and uh, don't set up that, a bidirectional trust between the two after you split them yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I mean, if you put RODCs into your DMZ for your production Act Directory force, that's problematic too. Please reach out to us and well, let's have that conversation because um, that's not going to be a good thing either. Uh, there's just too many, there's too much risk to that sort of configuration. Uh, for my friends in Europe, DMZ, okay? No DMZ domain in your in your prime production Act Directory forest. Um, so when it comes down to it, it our our recommendation is always one domain in your Act Directory forest. Our recommendation is always one forest in your environment. But there are reasons to have other forests, uh, reasons where the security outweighs the operational concern and challenges, such a DM, such as a DMZ forest, such as a test forest, such mm -hmm. as a R&D forest, such as a development forest, such as, you know, these are just examples, such as a, uh, a legacy forest, as we, we were talking about. So something that has, they just can't get to those higher level uh, of security. A manufacturing forest for your ICS systems that only get patched every three months at the best, probably more like six months. We do a lot of assessment of manufacturing environments. Uh, they're very complicated. They have a lot of interesting uh, scenarios around them. Uh, these are things that probably need to be separated. If you're running a pipeline that has Honeywell equipment that joins an Active Directory Force, Honeywell actually sets that up for you, sets up an AD Force. Yes, that should be separate. That should not be part of your existing AD. Uh, Scott, Jake. Ooh, I don't know, Sean. I feel like you, you crushed that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I got nothing on that one. Yeah. Almost like I've been doing this for 23 years. <laughs> hey guys, here, I, think yeah. he might, I think you might know stuff. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a question early, early, early in the webcast, and I didn't want to overlook it because I like this one from Molly. Uh, from a red teamer perspective, I don't know if you can get your minds that <laughs> filthy, but from a red teamer <laughs> perspective, <laughs> What are some potential research areas for lateral movement within AD environments? I'm gonna let Jake go first because I think he has some ideas. I mean, I gotta say ADCS again because it's yeah, <laughs> you get that one thing you're you're moving all over the place. Um, but no, uh, Brandon has talked a lot about SCCM and ways to abuse the service accounts related to that and how they are used everywhere and people still are not tracking them properly. So, yeah, those, those are the two that immediately jumped to my mind. How about you, Scott? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a good one. Obviously, you know, is there a solution in place where you're actually updating the local administrator account password? And it's different across systems. So maybe that maybe it's an easy win, right? The, the, the system you already own, you can use it to jump to all the other systems. Um, the only other one that jumped out to mind to me was maybe net session data. You know, get an idea of where credentials are being used and, and maybe that, that provides you a path on and, you know, kind of where you should move towards next. The, uh, that, that brings over to another question that was talking about Windows laps and whether we recommend it. 
Hmm. Yes. Yes. Sorry, yeah, we're going the ride, Jake. We're, we're following your lead. Yeah, we're, we're, it's already there. Uh, you know, it changes the DSRM account for you, which um, if you know what that is, it's pretty what local administrator for the entire forest. So yeah, I mean, that's so I don't think I don't think based on anything we've seen is new laps, you know, is there any anything you're having to give up using the new new lap solution versus the old laps? I think I think everything looks better. The, the customer I'm working with right now has has deployed it uh, for their workstations and we were able to track it uh, just fine and it seems to run essentially the same. So yeah, Windows laps, two thumbs up. Yeah, so Ray, Ray, what, what do you got? So my take on the things that a red teamer could look at, areas of opportunity in Active Directory would definitely be around those things that have what we call an identity control plane over Active Directory. So what are those things that typically have agents on, on domain controllers? Um, Tyler Robinson and I have talked about doing a talk around how to attack domain controllers, uh, which we just haven't put together yet, but I think that would be kind of a cool topic. Um, it's around what are those agents, what are those configurations, things like Tanium, things like SCCM, things like BigFix, things like uh, vulnerability scanners. Um, we've seen a number of different systems get installed on domain controllers or even have agents on domain controllers that have control over it. Another thing is VMware. Um, recent VMware vulnerability that came out meant that if you don't have a current version of VMware tools, you have a huge vulnerability in your environment, which affects all of your servers that are virtualized on VMware, which includes domain controllers, which are almost always virtualized. And if they're when they are virtualized, they are almost always virtualized on VMware. So as a red teamer, if you're not looking at VMware, or at least searching for ESX groups or VMware groups, you know, with name, names such as these, uh, you're missing out on a big portion of what you can do in the environment because it's not just Active Directory. Uh, it used to be that no one really looked at Active Directory except for some attackers and some pen testers. And then, you know, we saw the shift in the early 2010s and certainly later in, and into the 2020s now. But it's also the cloud IaaS environments, those infrastructure as a service environments, such as Azure, such as uh, AWS, such as GCP. There are ways to jump over to those environments from the on-prem environment through the IAM configuration, identity access and management. So I would say that infrastructure that hosts sensitive systems, so whether that's VMware or that's the cloud IaaS environments, VMware is a huge thing. Ransomware is going after VMware. So I would say if you are doing pen tests and red teams, uh, red team in, uh, assessments right now or security assessments and you're not looking at VMware, you really should incorporate that into the risk profile for your customers or at least ask them about it. Uh, we've seen a lot of issues. Every VMware security assessment we've done, we've found some serious issues. Um, I think there was one environment that was pretty good, but we still found some things. So even just as a validation that, hey, this is the way we think it should be configured. One of the challenges we've heard from a lot of our customers is that the VMware group just kind of works over there. Maybe they're in the basement just working off on, on, on their own. Whereas the identity team has to be kind of front and center. Active Directory, Azure AD, they have to be accessible and talk to security all the time because everything kind of ties into identity. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is VMware has its own concept of identity as well. So if you're not looking at VMware and who's managing that infrastructure system, that just about everything else in your environment is running on. And talking with uh, Demetrius on our team, uh, leading up to the VMware uh, webcast that he did last week, we were talking about like 
VMware and what is hosted on it. It used to be that you didn't host large databases on VMware. Those are hosted on VMware now. So guess what? Pretty much all your sensitive information is on VMware and in Exchange Online. So that's what attackers are going to go after. So I would say as a, as a red teamer, look at VMware, look at enterprise password vaults like uh, CyberArk and Secret Server, because we see a lot of issues there. Look at Azure AD Connect and other cloud uh, hybrid components or hybrid cloud components. Those that connect cloud to your on-prem environment. Those are going to be the areas of opportunity that I think are going to be huge, especially in the cloud space, especially in Azure AD, AWS, and GCP. We've got time for one more question, and we have a bunch more. We have them all saved, by the way, so I'm sure we're going to make some hay out of this and be able to answer these on a later date. And We should have done a lightning round, Danny. Should have done a lightning round. Yeah. I don't think any any of you three is capable of answering <laughs> the question in a lightning-esque time frame. Definitely not me. You all, I, it's definitely not Sean, but I didn't want to single him out because he's the boss. But none of you, I think, are, are lightning capable, which is fine. Um, but uh, Susan had asked this early on and talked, speaking about like uh, uh, ransomware and different kind of attacks. Um, she says she's seeing reports of a threat via email that has a QR code that then goes to a supposedly um, MFA capable 365 cred stealer. Are there any policies in Azure AD that can ensure that a two-factor setup email won't be sent to users? Um, my initial thinking is no, there is no policy to set that. The best protection you can do against phishing and the sort of attacker in the middle type scenarios when it comes to Azure AD is a FIDO2 uh, compliant uh, MFA. So that is the strongest method of authentication. It is, to my understanding, effectively phishing proof and attacker in the middle proof from what we know today. Um, so that's gonna be something like Microsoft Hello or the FIDO2 security keys, a little like YubiKey and, and Fizon, and there's a bunch of others. Uh, YubiKey has a really cool one that, that it has a fingerprint. You can put your finger on it and it'll unlock that way, but it'll also have a pin for it. But the way that the technology is built around that, it, it makes it, highly resistant to those type of attacks that still, you know, we can, we, we end up with situations where if you have to put in a number or a code, that's not good enough because ultimately that can be proxied through another system and sent over. Um, so that way the, the attacker can gain that session token for that user and use that typically from anywhere from five to 60 minutes or more. And that's all they need. Uh, so, Really, it comes down to that. The problem is, from what we've seen, is MFA isn't strongly deployed anyway when it comes to accounts in Azure AD. Um, it's very difficult to do an MFA in the on-prem Active Directory that actually is, is secures against what the attack uh, attack technique is. Um, and there's that was that would be a whole another session around that. It's difficult to do. Hello is is a strong way to do that to a certain extent smart cards are, but that's extremely difficult. And then you need PKI like ADCS and every ADCS environment we've seen has been vulnerable in some way or another. So I'm gonna Don't stop there because I know we're supposed to be out of time soon. I wanna hear what Jake and Scott have to say. I think the problem is we still see, I still see a lot of great questions in here. That's it. <laughs> yes, really well then that's today. why we're gonna do a part three because yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and the other upside is that this recording will be made available up on our YouTube and because I know that because I'm the one that does it. So no, we, we save these and we solicit for more. And you would almost think that one of us should write a book branded by Trimark that I could then uh, promote out there. Maybe Jake should write the book and co-write it with Scott. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a book for me. I thought that was, was going to be a Jim ask. Who wants uh, to be a ghostwriter for me? <laughs> Let's do that. Jim's already wrote two. <laughs> Jim's essentially yeah. the author. He's the, like, every time Jim's like, hey, man, uh, I have a piece of content I'm going to write for you. I'm like, all right, I got to set aside four hours and willingly set it aside. Because I think his latest one was plus 50 pages, which is, he does so good with, like, yeah. and, and by the way, go download it right now. It, it's on uh, hub.trimarksecurity.com. It's one of the first posts and you just download it. And so many, uh, so many visuals, uh, so many uh, examples of code. And like, he really, really holds your hand through it. Jim's an excellent writer. But for all of that stuff, including this hub.trimarksecurity.com, that is where all of our stuff goes, all of our webcasts, blogs, papers. Uh, 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 we link our videos, which then link over to our YouTube. Um, and part of that YouTube is we have our Twitch happy hour every Friday on twitch.tv slash trimarksecurity. Um, and like we had, we just had uh, Casey John Ellis from Bug Crowd was on. Uh, Dave Kennedy was on there. We've had a, we have a whole like hacking demystified series up there. Uh, so check that out. Uh, what do we got coming up next? Oh, Scott's gonna do a Scott's doing a webcast for us soon. I just roped him into that all about uh, identity, just like the one we just did with Demetrius for VMware. So he's on the hook for that. I told Dan uh, that was a terrible idea, but he didn't listen to me. Well, it was, listen, like, it, it's, uh, he, he said, well, anybody will listen to me? I was like, with that face, anybody will listen to I, you. Um, my voice wasn't would, quite that whiny, Danny, just for the record. No, you're you're gorgeous. Uh, Sean, any any closing, uh, closing remarks from the boss? Absolutely, yes. Uh, members of the Trimark team will be in Las Vegas for Hacker Summer Camp, so Black Hat and DEF CON. Uh, we will be uh, putting together a meetup. So if you're going to be out there uh, attending Black Hat, DEF CON, B-Sides, Las Vegas, the Diana Initiative, any of the fun, wonderful events that happens during Hacker Summer Camp, uh, we will be there. And uh, so we will be putting out a, a, a form where you can sign up to hang out with us and uh, at an undisclosed location as of now. Um, and so, yeah, that'll be fun. So looking forward, I will be definitely be there. So I'm looking forward to seeing many of you out uh, in Vegas in August, which is probably not the best month to be in Vegas because it's like 110 degrees. We don't go outside but though. We all stay in the Exactly, we can hang out inside. Uh, so, uh, yes. And yeah, you'll definitely find, I'll definitely be there setting all this stuff up and also gooning for, uh, as you can see the flag behind me, gooning for DEF CON. I, I would say you could find me by, by spotting my giant blue chicken, but I think they've outlawed that for this year. I think I've made too many people. We'll need to get you a Trimark dragon to carry around. Yeah, they didn't say anything about a squeezable dragon. Um, so yes. Uh, oh, by the way, we got a newsletter that tells you all of the stuff, and we also uh, have that. If if you signed up for the webinar, we asked you, do you want our newsletter or do you want our services or do you want both? So if you said yes to the newsletter, you'll be signed up for that today, and that tells you all the stuff that we're going to be doing. So for myself, Scott, Jake, and Sean, thank you. Listen, thank you very, very much for, for hanging out with us. This stuff means nothing if you don't show up. And we just love talking about it. So we really, really appreciate it. And we will see everybody next time. Bye.